Trends in Construction Arbitration. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. Today, we are joined by Alexandre Wagenheim, Vice President of Global Legal Data, USMUNDI. Alexandre is a French qualified international arbitration and environmental lawyer. Good morning, Alexandre. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Alexandre, USMUNDI is an open access arbitration database. You therefore have access to a mine of information and data, which we'd be fascinated to explore. We're starting off, please could you set out for our listeners what you see as the main trends in construction arbitration? Well, with pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. I'm now following your podcast for a few months. And so I'm really honored to be able to, to present you some of our findings at USMUNDI. And indeed, you mentioned rightly that USMUNDI is an open access database. It means that all the data available on the platform is freely accessible. Often people ask us, how does it work and how do you make money out of it? And commercially, how does it work? And basically, the answer is very simple. We believe access to data is a right for everyone. And this is why the access of the data is freely accessible on the platform. What we commercialize is the technology applied to the data, the use of the AI tools that we create, etc. And so we have one database with two platforms. And one is USMUNDI, which covers more than 80,000 documents relating to international law, but more specifically to arbitration, and USConnect, which represents about 55,000 arbitration practitioners on the platform extracted from all those documents. And together, both USMUNDI and USConnect share the same mission, which is to power global justice and make arbitration uh, accessible uh, and arbitration professional worldwide, thanks to technology. Coming to your question, we released in June 2023 last year a USConnect construction arbitration industry report. We released that in all the various industry to try to have some insight into the various sector. And this one is really, I think, a goldmine of information based on all the data that we have on both USMUNDI and USConnect on the particular construction industry. Little disclaimer, of course, due to the prevalence of confidentiality, we cannot be 100% exhaustive and include every construction arbitration case that there is out there. But still, we have probably the most comprehensive database in arbitration in both investor state and commercial arbitration. So I'll try to share maybe four insights that I've gathered, at least that we've really seen through this report. And probably the first one from the USConnect construction report is that we have overall 2,500 cases involving construction uh, arbitration. And we see a a clear split. We have about 2,200 commercial arbitration and a a little more than 200 cases relating to investment arbitration. Roughly, we have 90% commercial construction arbitration and 10% investment. So already a huge gap between the two fields. The second insight that we see is that construction as a sector is one of the main users of arbitration. Globally, of all the sector identified. And over the last decade, what we've seen is really an overall increase in construction cases. If you look at only the really the last years, there is a huge steep curves in terms of increase. Obviously, you know, construction industry is prone to dispute, complexity of project, multiple parties, cross-border transaction, etc. And it, obviously arbitration is a common method used to resolve these disputes. 
adjudication, mediation, arbitration, expert determination. These are obviously examples that you're very familiar with in the construction sector, but the mix of all those tools are used and we can see that experts in the field are usually experts in all those different <laughs> dispute resolution. A third insight that I think was interesting to also highlight is the various hubs around the world handling those disputes. And we see really major hubs around the world, UK, of course, being one of the principal hub with London as a major hub for arbitration, including construction disputes and many construction contracts designate London as the seat of their arbitration. But we see other hub really growing. Dubai, for example, has an experience and a substantial growth in construction and infrastructure project leading to an increase uh, in dispute. Singapore has positioned itself as the Asian hub and again has a, a huge workload of construction cases. Hong Kong, as a seat of arbitration, is also really kicking off. Notably, what we see is disputes involving China mainland companies with foreign companies, for example. Australia is also very strong. And because you have extensive infrastructure development and natural resource project, Sydney and Melbourne being the two top uh, cities where we see those arbitration taking place. Maybe in terms of amount in disputes that we're seeing, here I had to cross-check a little bit our own data with uh, the Queen Mary survey of 2019 with Vincent Mason, uh, which was called Driving Efficiency in Construction Dispute. And uh, I think was really providing valuable insight in terms of what are the minimum amounts that we see in those disputes. And here, it wasn't a clear cut. We had sort of different scenes in, in the responses of this survey with people varying from 1 million to 10 million saying, okay, that's okay to go to arbitration and other people saying no less than 10 million. And what we see in our own database, it's a huge range of amount in dispute, ranging in fact from 1 million to hundreds of millions of dollars dispute. This leads me to my fourth insight, which is what types of arbitration are we seeing for specifically construction disputes? And interestingly, in construction, in the construction industry, ad hoc arbitration are the vast majority of cases that we think. And obviously, institutional arbitration is also very present, but construction is probably the sector where we see the most ad hoc arbitration with a 30% of all the cases that we have on our database being through ad hoc arbitration. So why is that ad hoc arbitration so popular in the construction industry? I think there are two probably points that we could make. One can be explained by several factors, but perhaps, and I think it's probably that it's most cost-effective and it allows for more flexibility for the parties, which are really, uh, at least in the construction industry, parties are really looking into that kind of flexibility. For institutional arbitration, we see obviously there are the top three arbitral institutions, the ICC, the AAA ICDR in the US, and ICSID for investment arbitration. And those three institutions regroup more than 50% of the institutional cases that we see. We've other players coming, and I think that's also very interesting to see a shift and a sort of dissemination of the construction workload around the various institutions. And for example, we released this report a few years ago, and now this new, which is the second edition, show newcomers. For example, we have the Dell International Arbitration Center, which has made its way into the data back ranking that we did. And it, it's a very interesting addition, although it's not surprising when you look at the construction industry sector in India, which has been growing exponentially in the last few years, with the Indian government launching multiple initiatives to increase infrastructure, including you know one trillion national plan for infrastructure. And so 
obviously you, you can see a direct consequence in, in the number of disputes that have been raised in this trunk. ICC is, of course, by far the top arbitral institution. It's, of course, very linked to the fact that the FIDIC forums and all the three main standards forums refer directly to arbitration as the default option, unless the parties agree otherwise. But this has secured a predominant position for ICC arbitration worldwide. ICSID remains the most predominant investor state arbitration. But again, with the caveat that we just mentioned that investor state arbitration represents approximately 10% of the overall caseload. I'll stop here for statistics. I think we have grounded the, the discussion, but we have many more insight. And I would definitely encourage people who are listening to this basket to go to our report because we have specific landscape, regional aspect on MENA, APAC, North America, LATAM, and Brazil, et cetera, which are very interesting to go deeper into each region and understand really how the impact of the construction sector is affecting the dispute landscapes. Thanks, Alexander. I think that's so fascinating there to hear that even something as established as arbitration, whether we're talking commercial or investor state, you're seeing these huge responsive developments. I think India is a great example of that when you have these policy initiatives from a state level, the impact that then already happens on the data that you see. An area I think that's also very responsive, of course, and it's what we want to talk about with you today, Alexander, is are these environmental issues. What kinds of trends are we seeing if you dig into that arbitration data on how environmental issues are being dealt with? Thank you, Ruth. I think it's, I mean, obviously it's a critical point and obviously also the subject of your podcast. And what I can uh, say is that historically, arbitrators performing adjudicative function were not really primarily concerned with environmental protection issues. And we really see that those issues appearing in the last decades, 20 years, etc. And we can confidently say that, you know, arbitrator gained huge experience and, and in that domain, climate change or environmental related disputes by a wide range of dispute being referred to them, including disputes arising out of environmental representation and warranties, which is a lot of the case that we're seeing, in, at least in commercial arbitration. And those cases are coming from two sectors, the mining sector and the construction sector equally. As to the question of suitability of commercial arbitration for environmental dispute, that's a huge ongoing debate, but I think the method has been tested and the expertise has been tested in disputes, for example, arising out of the Green Climate Fund or the Kyoto Protocol. Obviously, arbitration rules are being amended as we speak to encourage parties to appoint, for example, arbitrator with relevant expertise and knowledge in environmental law. We are seeing new sample clause and options being proposed. For example, the, the ICC task force in its report, Arbitration and Climate Change Related Dispute, is proposing new sample clause. The, the, the Permanent Court of Arbitration at the PCA has drawn up a list of experienced arbitrators in, in environmental law. And we're seeing the commercial arbitration uh, landscape also trying to find ways to adapt to those disputes. But there are mechanisms already in place which are very well suited for environmental dispute and which we're seeing being used more and more. Emergency arbitration, obviously interim relief, uh, being able to have quickly uh, interim relief before a tribunal is constituted. So it's a really important procedural aspect and guarantees for environmental disputes. And perhaps a way, and at least a, somewhere where we're seeing difficulties is about transparency because for the sake of social acceptability, the confidentiality rules should kind of accommodate some 
public participation and transparency. And this is where probably commercial arbitration needs to, at least for environmental dispute, needs to evolve in a direction in which obviously investment arbitration being almost fully transparent has been because of its nature. Now, in fact, when it comes to arbitrating environmental dispute, the problem is less a question of regulation, but more of applicability. We all know that there are more than 2,000 laws covering environment, climate change, and related issue. And we know the important role that is being played right now by domestic courts in compelling states, in compelling corporations around the world, the Organda case in the the Netherlands, but he, even here in France, we had the Conseil d'État, which compelled France to take concrete measures to meet 40% greenhouse reduction target, etc. And all those court orders will consequently have dispute following those and a rise that we are already seeing and arbitration for the dispute following from those court judgments will be well suited. Just a little side note, maybe on investment arbitration. And I think here, what we are seeing, we, we've seen an evolution around time about the protection of the environment through investment arbitration. And I think there were many stages. And the first stage, issues were not really considered at first sight because our arbitrators were not really giving deference to state measures as a first stage. The second stage saw a sort of cross-pollinization between investment and environmental related fields. We, we see a peak of dispute in the renewable energy we have the Spanish Energy Treaty Charter case, and that sort of helped an increase in numerical growth in environmental issue in, in investment arbitration. Third stage, we're seeing environmental provision in investment treaties, in preambles with reference to international convention, and subsequently, even in the bodies of the treaties, again, with reference uh, all of that, but I think uh, what we've seen from in, in our database, pretty much uh, treaties now that have a clause referring to uh, environment are about 10%. And we have since 2008, 89% of treaty at least now containing a reference or a clause relating to environment. So there is a huge increase in investment arbitration to take care of those issues. A lot of examples that we're seeing in the investment context, bans on chemicals, denial, revocation of permits, authorization for mining, expropriation, etc. So we are now in this stage where we're seeing many of those questions. But of course, in the past years, and very specific to climate change, we've seen you know, cases related to the energy transition with revocation, alteration of incentives, ta uh, tariffs regimes for renewable energy, the phasing out of nuclear or coal-fired power plants, etc., etc. So I think that's a little bit how we see from our data perspective the trends of environment in arbitration. Alexandre, you've outlined some of those differences there between investment treaty arbitration and commercial arbitration. So one of the big ones, of course, being transparency. Are there any other trends that you're observing between the two when you look at the data? We do. And I think perhaps the biggest trend at the moment, which has some bearing on the differences between commercial and investment, relates to ESG generally. And so obviously there is an increase in what we now all call ESG dispute, obviously environmental, social, and governance components in the global context. And so just in relation to environment, we all know that today there are more than 2,500 lawsuits that relates to climate change in different jurisdictions recorded. And I refer to the Grantham Research Institute report that is really the best source where we can track all those litigation. 
And so for decades, arbitration has been the principal means for resolving commercial, international commercial and investment disputes. And therefore, the incorporation of ESG elements in international business agreement has been reflected in arbitration disputes uh, deriving from those clauses. And there are important precedent in investment arbitration where the compliance with environmental laws and human rights have been a material part of the dispute. And also with specific nuances, this ESG dimension are equally relevant now for a commercial arbitration. And the public scrutiny uh, of business activity and the desire to have social license to operate as a you know, a variable to consider in between uh, business sectors have led many companies to incorporate ESG commitments in their commercial contract. And these range from specific representation warranties to ensure a contracting party complies with applicable environmental labor regulation, agreeing to due diligence obligation concerning human rights uh, that allow to identify and remediate the impact of those activities. And the practice is showing that many disputes relevant to ESG are dealt now through arbitration. You can see the caseload of the ICC, for example, in 2000, which was showing, for example, that the construction sector was representing construction and energy mixed together was representing almost 40% of their caseload in which those issues are increasingly being dealt with. And I think the question again is still whether it's the right process Etc. And we've already tackled a little bit upon that, but the, the procedural flexibility and the high level of specialization of the arbitrator, the possibility to enforce an award under the New York Convention are all attributes for arbitration that makes it a, a very attractive and effective method for resolving disputes, including ESG disputes. Again, we've touched upon the differences between commercial and investment in terms of transparency. And again, I would probably tend to see that this is where there is the most impact. But we're seeing with a strong transparency regime in investment state dispute, you have the ancestral transparency rules, etc, etc. But what we're seeing now is that more commercial arbitration institutions are publishing their awards. And there are two ways for transparency to work. It's by the publication of the award and the participation in the process. And on the publication of the award, for example, we as a legal tech company, we're now publishing awards of more than 40 commercial arbitration institutions around the world, including the ICC, including the AAA ICDR, but including also regional institutions in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, etc. And so we're seeing a move and a shift towards that aspect, which actually sort of we put closer actually investment and commercial arbitration on that particular aspect. So much information and data, Alexandra, it's fascinating to hear. And if we can tie the strands together of what we've been discussing this morning, what trends do you see in terms of environmental issues, specifically in construction-related arbitration? Indeed, I think it's a good conclusion point in a sense. We've, we've seen construction arbitration, we've seen environmental issues in arbitration and how the two combine. Perhaps what I can say confidently is that Obviously, the construction industry is one of the leading generator of carbon emission sector in the world. I think it's around 30% of the global energy consumption and 26 of the energy sector emission. So we've seen, we, we had the pandemic and we have wars coming up. And so we've seen, for example, after the Ukraine war, that there is an increase in the reliance on fossil fuel. But you know, global energy transition is still increasing, even though it's taking a longer period due to this factor. 
the extent to which the construction sector is impacted by the global energy transition vary between jurisdiction. But having said that, most jurisdictions see an increase in both new projects, especially alternative and renewable energy projects and redevelopment. And consequently, those projects require a reduction in carbon emission. Use of recycled materials, increased efficiency in the heating, cooling of buildings, etc. Those are all the issues that the construction sector is facing now. So we are, you know, despite all the complexity involved and the fact that the construction industry is one of the leading generators of carbon emission sector, we're seeing also a shift towards sustainability in the construction sector. And I think what I would like probably to highlight, and that was just last month, we've seen over 350 industry leaders in the building and construction sector signed an open letter that was put forward during the COP28 last month, urging negotiators to advance climate policy. And so we are seeing how the construction industry sector is moving towards also sustainability. So there is not a growth just in terms of new projects in the renewable energy sector, but it's also about revamping or greening, if I may say so, the existing construction projects, which are already involved. And so as a consequence of this shift to sustainability and to the increased focus on generation of renewable energy, there is a high demand in innovation and technology. I'll probably take three examples of dispute that we really see mixing construction and environment. And for example, the first one is when you have a failure to achieve an anticipated outputs. For example, a dispute related to the failure to achieve the outputs in renewable energy often revolve around actual performance of the energy generation system compared to projects made during the project planning and design phase. Another example is a failure to achieve commissioning standards. They refer to a set of criteria and procedure that, that must be met for renewable energy projects to be considered fully operational. And disputes in that context arise when the project fails to meet those uh, particular standards, which cover a broad range of technical, safety, regulatory requirements. Failing to achieve these standards results uh, in non-compliance with safety, environmental regulation, etc. And the third group, I think, of, of, of example are claims arising out of weather conditions. A renewable project depend substantially for a successful performance on favorable weather. Weather is erratic and cannot be accurately predicted beyond a few days. And as such, attribution of responsibility in cases where there is a supply failure due to extreme weather that we are uh, seeing more and more frequently becomes a source of dispute and can further lead to sort of claims of delay, force majeure, extension of time, frustration, and breach of contract. Apart from all those claims that, and those examples, we have the classic construction claims, delays, attribution of delays, cost overruns, claims arising out of the defects of performance. And so we're seeing all those classical construction disputes, I would say, arising out in the context of claims involving environmental issues. We've covered this a little bit already, but taking a high-level view, do you think that international arbitration is an ally or an obstacle in the race against climate change? That's a $1 million question, Camilla. <laughs> I know, I apologize. It's a question that, that is frequently asked and rightfully so. We are probably trying to tackle the, the most pressing issue that humanity has ever faced and an important question to understand whether the dispute resolution mechanism that we put are, are the best suited to advance the climate goals uh, generally. 
as a former lawyer myself, probably the answer would be it can be an ally as well as an obstacle. And I think, again, here we can differentiate a bit between investment and commercial arbitration. And investment arbitration, ISDS and climate change have been really polarized, and especially recently with the debate around the Energy Charter Treaty. And the critiques around the ISDS system were mostly about the regulatory chill, which discouraged states from taking actions to mitigate climate change. And they are real threats and they are direct threats. And we're seeing foreign investors threatening directly to bring cases against states if measures are being taken. And we have less direct threat and which really the prohibitive cost of an ISDS on a country have made many countries ad to admit openly that they have pushed back deadlines to phase out oil and gas exploration, for example, due to investment treaties and the fear of arbitration claims. And so this debate is part of a larger controversy over the legitimacy of ISDS and the investment system as a whole. But the answer actually may turn into what is the role of the, the private sector and what is the role that we are going to play in addressing climate change. And I think here to sum up, we probably have three categories of climate disputes that will be referred to arbitration and where arbitration can be actually an ally on this journey. And I think the first category refers to Disputes really arising from specific transition, adaptation, and mitigation contract entered into force to meet specific climate change goals or commitment. An example, for example, would be a dispute between an owner and a contractor in relation to the construction of solar panels, for example. A uh, second category refers to dispute arising from contract generally where contractual performances have been impacted by a party's response to changes in national law and regulation. And a third category, which to my knowledge and in our database we have not seen yet, would comprise dispute which the parties have agreed to submit to arbitration after the dispute has arisen. For example, a dispute between indigenous people and an infrastructure corporation where the latter's activity have had an environmental impact and the party agreed to resolve this through arbitration. Right now, we're seeing more of those disputes going to court and to a lesser extent to investment arbitration, whether that might make the object of commercial arbitration one day remains to be seen. And so I would probably say it's an ally on few aspects. The arbitration may be an ally because it allows access to appropriate scientific and other expertise. It allows also to have recourse to measure and procedures for early and urgent resolution of dispute. And in climate change related dispute, timeliness and the avoidance of delay are often really critical. And in this way, expedited procedure may help. Emergency proceedings might help. Also, the opportunity to have the application of climate change and commitments as a law. Arbitrators are bound to apply the law. And as those regulations become part of the applicable law, we're seeing more and more of those laws being applied directly in arbitration. Transparency, of course, and there is an increased demand for transparency in both investment and commercial arbitration. And my guess and my own personal forecast would be that this is critical for arbitration to become the true ally that I think it is or it already is, but is meant to increase. And of course, a, a related aspect to that is the involvement of third parties. The nature and the consequence of climate change leads to the question of whether other interested parties, stakeholders, population, NGOs, which are affected citizens, can participate to an arbitration. And naturally, there are 
ways. And of course, Amicus Curie Brief, Joinders in commercial arbitration can address those type of issue. And I think the flexibility that arbitration brings might make it an ally for environmental dispute. And so again, the answer is yes, we do have a mechanism already in place. We do need to move forward some more specific aspect of arbitration to be able to handle seriously environmental dispute. And in this case, it could be definitely an ally. Thank you, Alexander. What a reservoir of knowledge there for our listeners. I think it's so valuable. Myself and Camilla obviously have lots of discussions on this topic, but I think it's really only by understanding the data and what's happening with the cases that have already happened and being through arbitration and the trends of where that's going, that we can really get a sense of what role is arbitration going to play in all of this. So thank you so much, Alexandre. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.